Hey, um, welcome to the Overshare Pamphlet. My name is Rob, and I am the host of this one and show. Um, this is uh, my very first episode of my podcast. Um, so I guess some housekeeping is due, right? So I want to start off with the purpose of this entire project, I guess. I just want to have like a little um, side hustle, I guess, something, you know, just for fun. Um, cause I love talking, I love sharing my opinion and I love, um, I don't know, chit chatting, I guess. All my friends told me that, you know, I should probably start one just to provide some entertainment, not only for them, but for maybe a larger audience, you know? Anyways, um, when I first started drafting a bit, like, um, the entire project and the entire podcast I thought a bit about the formatting and I guess it's what I'm I'm going to go for moving forward with my uh, episodes um one thing that I really want to talk about is uh, like a recurring segment would be my top tracks of the of the week so every episode um I'm going to probably give you like um probably like a couple of tracks maybe like five four or five tracks that i've been really obsessed with uh for the for that specific week so yeah i'm planning to do basically weekly episodes hopefully i'm able to keep that up but yeah like we're we're getting we're getting started you know we're getting started with that um so i listen to a lot of music of course and i am the type of person who gets bored of a song very quickly so i'm always on the lookout for um I guess new tracks just to you know expand my horizons when it comes to music so I would love to share that with you all so this week first episode would of course so have some very special tracks um ready for for you guys um one of them oh yeah by the way these tracks are not going to be um necessarily like released this week or something like it's just tracks random tracks that I've either rediscovered or like stumbled upon on my i don't know dis- uh, discover playlist or whatever uh on spotify so it's just tracks that i'm basically obsessed with um and hopefully i'll be obsessed for a more than just a week you know but anyways um first track of the week is um none other than Sancho pay by j cole so i stumbled upon this uh track specifically when i was uh trying to build a Spotify playlist. Um, the playlist in question is, um, I think I called it like the best outros or something like that. And this made the list, of course, because uh, I recently um, rediscovered it. It's such a good, good song. And the outro, of course, is, in my opinion, the highlight of the entire song. The hook is really, really catchy as well. So I am very, very. Um, obsessed with this currently so yeah you can also go and check out my uh playlist you know a little uh plug there you know i have plenty of playlists i sometimes am guilty of repurposing the same songs for different playlists uh, but don't we all do that so go check it out you know next up is uh can catch me now um which is of course the um the new Hunger Games track, um, that I guess like is the promotional track uh, made by Olivia Rodrigo, incredible song, and we'll talk about the Hunger Games uh, in a second as well. Um, but yeah, this this track is so 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 good. It's really giving me um, 
like it really captures, I guess, the vibe of the movie itself, of course, but also that old, like 2000 and what was it, 14, 15, when the original trilogy came out, like the the first movie, and you know, all these like all those artists came together to put put together such a good, good, good soundtrack for the movie. So yeah, she managed to capture that vibe. She's so good. Love the track so much. So if you haven't heard it, if you haven't listened to it, go check it out. Um, next one is Mama's Boy by Dominic Fike. Like, okay, I, I know, like, I don't, I don't really listen much, um, of Dominic Fike's music, but, uh, but I think this track is honestly really, really good. I stumbled upon it, I think, on, what, you know, like, the, the function that Spotify has, if you like a track, you can, like, go to the, um, curated, basically, um, radio station on spotify and it will basically give you both songs that you already know but also new tracks so i discovered it that way it was uh, so good and yeah obsessed with it it's in my like songs for now as it uh, hasn't been put into like any sort of playlist but maybe i'll find a place for it soon but who knows as of now i'm really enjoying it so it's been on replay Next song is The Other Woman by Lana Del Rey. Of course, Lana Del Rey has got to make the cut, you know? She is just incredible. I rediscovered it recently and, you know, I could talk hours and hours about Lana, but um, she was my... Um, well, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it, but I'm going to talk to, uh, I'm going to talk about it in a few, uh, a few minutes as well. But she's one of my most streamed artists ever, period. So, yeah gotta give Lana her flowers she's always coming through and oddly enough with like all of her projects I tend to like of course give them a fair shot every single time but I managed to truly like she's one of those artists that I like need time to fully like you know appreciate in that sense because her music is so um layered I guess there's so much going on there so yeah, this is definitely was not one of my first like um, stand up songs from her album, but the other uh, the other woman is just like it's just I don't know something clicked something clicked this week. So I've been obsessed with it. Go listen to it. Lana Razors, everything. She is uh, probably the best songwriter of this generation. Fight me, fight me. Um, and to close up the uh, the list, I want to talk about k-pop i have this uh track that i've been obsessed with it's batter up by baby monster the new yg girl group um following you know blackpink of course so after seven years um we finally have a new yg girl group and this is their debut um i've seen a little chatter online on twitter and on tiktok and the song got mixed reviews from the public, I guess, but I don't fucking care. The song slaps. If, you, if you're not into, like, uh, strong hip-hop concepts and songs, then this is probably not for you, I guess. But if you're into that YG core, like, that YG sound, then this is not gonna, um, this is not gonna, you know, disappoint you at all. How could it? You know, it's such a good, good, um hip-hop track oddly enough it reminds me of a lot of uh, cardi b a, a bit of wap a bit of money from cardi b but uh like i guess it's the beat i don't know the, the trumpets the brass is a bit that i guess it's the, the point but um incredible song super talented girls 
and the rap line. Oh my god! I think that the rap line, the rap verse, uh, the two verses, I guess, because it's like, well, it's just, it's the second verse, but it's two rappers, and they are probably the the like the the highlight of the entire song, in my opinion. Like the their their flow is incredible, some of the best bars in K-pop and probably rap period. So go check it out. Music video, um, it's also on YouTube. They're devouring the numbers. You know, they're just doing incredible numbers on uh, on YouTube. And I guess also on Spotify, um, I see a pattern that in Korea they're not, uh, as of now, doing so well in terms of um, the views and all that stuff, like on charts. But in the West, I think we are already starting to appreciate them. So go show them some support. They just debuted and they're super talented. So Spotify, go there, you know, go and stream it, stream it whatever you can, you know. Anyways, these are... Um, my top tracks of the week, I guess. Um, and we're gonna get into the real deal here. So, what I'm gonna do with this podcast, like in each episode, I'm gonna probably talk like about either two or three topics that um in that week is it's gonna be like a very reactionary, I guess, uh, podcast. So, whatever um I find interesting that catches my attention or my interest or whatever. Either the news, either like pop culture, mostly pop culture, I would say, but uh, a lot of it, like whatever, like you know, piques my interest in that sense. So I will probably do like a a little bit of um coverage on it, you know. Hence also the the name of the um the podcast, which is the um, Overture Pamphlet. I'm just gonna dish on some harmless stories, hopefully that uh, can interest everybody. But yeah, my uh, track. Uh, my track list of the week um, I guess really leads me into the first story of the of the week so 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 interesting um, I was not planning um, definitely not planning on, uh, on talking about this because I didn't know it was coming out this week honestly like no one knew but it's of course it's Spotify Spotify wrapped and I'm gonna also put into that a bit of Taylor news Taylor Swift of course Blondie <laughs> this week has been crazy. Actually, more than a week. It's been in just like a couple of days, one or even just one day. I think she managed to, you know, <laughs> get a little attention. You know, something crazy happened. Like multiple things happened. They're all, all like I think I would say like they're all interlinked in a way. But we're gonna get in, um, into that in a bit. But first, let's talk about um, my Spotify Wrapped. So, um. Yeah, so Spotify Wrapped came out this week. I was honestly planning to put it into next week's uh, episode because I, I thought it was going to come out, like, what, the end of this week or, like, the 1st of December, like, something like that. But it came out sooner than that. So here it fucking is. Um, before I get actually into what, like, what I got in my Spotify Wrapped, I just wanted to talk a bit about, like, my general impression of how we went this year, like, the... The formatting and everything else of Spotify wrapped. Usually, I think, like, every year they try to spice it up a bit and to put in there, like, some interesting themes. Like, I think last year was, what was it? Was it, like, tarot cards or something like that? And they gave you also, like, a aura read, something like that, like, on, on your, based on, your like, your listening habits for the year. But I think this year, like, there wasn't any specific um, theme going on there. Uh, I find it very interesting that they managed to find like a 
like they analyze your entire listening pattern and they gave you a study like a location that resembles your listening patterns so that that was interesting at least but yeah i thought i found it a bit I, I think it fell a bit flat in that department but hey what can you do you know like it's literally just a rundown of um your stats so it is what it is you know uh but i have to say that there was something that came, something really good that came out of it i guess uh and it was this ai dj that i guess it gives you sort of like a radio experience like more than an actual like real radio experience but um it has a lot of like a lot of smooth uh, transitions between songs and like you know built up some segments uh, on either like even past years uh, listening habits or what you've listened this year and it's really really good um so i hope actually this ai dj that they have is gonna stick around on the app permanently honestly because I really find myself like especially when i'm working or something else like i'm reading or whatever it is i just put it on and just let it flow and it's really really like entertaining honestly like kudos to them kudos to the ai you know these robots are taking over but we don't care if they provide quality we're gonna keep them you know we're just gonna keep them um yeah anyways <laughs> let's get into um my spotify wrapped my 2023 spotify wrapped um i guess it was so, sort of like um as expected i guess like this is the thing like um i'm not gonna get any surprise when it comes to like my top i would say my top two artists because i know i know myself i know what is gonna happen there i know it's gonna be number one and i know it's gonna be number two every single year so i guess no surprises there but there were some um surprises in terms of um like going from number three to number five in terms of artists and also my songs my top songs so but before we get into that let's get into the you know the amount of music the amount of minutes i have listened to this year mental illness mental illness i've listened to a total of 113,268 minutes which means, uh, I guess, like, translates to, like, 78 days of my entire year spent just purely listening to music. Um, I don't want to talk about it. Don't mention it. I'm crazy. I'm insane. Uh, I need help. <laughs> oh, my God. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. But, honestly, I put music on, like, wherever I go, whatever I do. I just love that. Like, I just love listening to music so much. So... I guess I'm not surprised. I shouldn't be surprised. So, <laughs> anyways, don't judge me. Um, let's move on to the top songs. My well, I know the the actual thing gives you like a top five, but I, I just wanted to like get a bit more in that. So I went to look at the list, and I I hear my top ten songs. Starting off with number one, of course, is Cruel Summer. Cruel Summer, Justice for Cruel Summer. This year was Cruel Summer's year. So nothing to complain there you know i've been honestly rooting for the song since it came out in 2000 and what was it 2017 was it oh 2019 right yeah 2019 yeah um yeah since lover came out so that's been one of my favorite songs on the album ever since it came out and i'm so happy that it finally got the time of day you know by the fans by the general public taylor finally pushed it well, she didn't really push that, I'd say. Like, I'd say, like, that's the the soundtrack of her tour. So, 
I guess people like started finally latching onto this song and you know truly um, giving it a chance, giving it a shot. So I'm very happy about it. So yeah, that's my uh, top one, my number one song of the year. Um, number two is Faces by Maggie Linneman. Um This song, I think I discovered it um, pretty early on during the year. And ever since I discovered it, it's a bit of like a, a punk pop uh, song. If you're not familiar with Maggie, she does a lot of that. Um, really interesting song. I love the cover art. I'm also a very visual person. If the cover art doesn't really speak to me, I'm not going to listen to new songs in that sense. I'm that picky. But I am of the opinion that, you know, you should, you should judge a book by its cover. I'm sorry, but that's the simple truth. So this song captivated me from the a cover art of the album I guess and then when I listened to it I was so 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 obsessed with it and I kept on listening to it and it was just you know bliss it was bliss I love punk punk pop I love a bit of rock in my in my songs so yeah as long as it's pop I always gonna I'm always gonna pop you know I'm, gonna, I'm always gonna jam to it so that's the second one. Third song is Too Well by Renee Rapp. Renee Rapp has just been having also a crazy year. She's really doing a lot of cool stuff. Uh, was a Snow Angel? Just incredible stuff. But Too Well, I think it, it really spoke to me this year. It was um very nice, like, catchy beat. And, um, yeah, just incredible song overall. Like, you know, top three, so... Can't complain about that. Fourth song is Sugar Code by Natty. Um, she's a member of this K-pop group called Kiss of Life. But this song is magnificent. This song is pure, I, I guess, early 2000 uh, R&B pop. Like, imagine Britney Spears one more time sort of uh, vibe a bit. Um, Natty's so talented. She's an incredible dancer, but also an incredible singer. Uh, she's from Thailand, and she is just rocking it, killing it. Go listen to it. Um, go watch the video if you want. You don't really have to, honestly. The song speaks for itself, so period. Um, number five, Hands to Myself by Selena Gomez. I'm so, so, so... In well, no, I'm, I don't want to say I'm embarrassed, but I am ashamed that I listen so much, like... I'm not, like, to be completely fair, disclaimer here, I think this year something must have happened to me, but I truly never revisit old songs, but something came over me, and a demon possessed me, and I went back to all these songs, and to myself, I rediscovered it, and I've been listening to it, like, honestly, not even for a long time, and it's already a top five, so I, I think I rediscovered it, what was it, in, oh, maybe beginning of the summer, something like that, but it's just... It just stuck with me, you know? So it's been a replay. Number six, there again. Here we go. It's Delicate by Taylor Swift. Uh, this song will always be in my top ten, I guess. Always, 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 always. It's, like, it's always a song from um, rap and a song from uh, 1989 that always makes the cut. Sometimes Red peeks into that and, you know, takes over. But usually Delicate is always there. And I ain't mad about it. Delicate is one of the best songs she's ever uh, produced and written. It's just such a good song. Um, yeah, uh, I'm sure most of you all know about it. But just, yeah, if you, ha if you haven't listened to this um, beautiful song in, in a while, 
go listen to it. It's just that good. Number seven, we have All American Bitch by Olivia Rodrigo. Of course, she had to make the cut. Uh, I'm gonna say this, Guts wasn't my favorite on my first listen, but I really have to say, like, when uh, the autumn, like, fall came into its full force, into, into its full speed, that's where I guess I started, like, to fully like delve into the the album in general i mean all american bitch was don't get me wrong i always liked the song from the get-go i think it was um a standout track when i first listened to the album but um i think overall the album just um grew me so much during the autumn i really like associating like albums and songs to certain seasons so um i don't know something changed something changed like uh got literally did a full 180 on me and I've been obsessed with several songs now, so kudos to Olivia, I know. Keep going, girl. Um, number eight, Teddy Bear by Stacey. Uh, incredible K-pop song. Super poppy, super, super nice, super fresh. Um, very cute song. Go listen to it. Slaps. Incredible hook. Gets you hooked. Uh, number nine, Shu by Kiss of Life. I mentioned the group already, but this is their debut song. So good. Reminds me a lot of Ariana Grande, um, like, problems, something like that. It's just really good as well. Talented girls. Give it a shot. It's K-pop. It's poppin'. Um, last but not least, and y'all gonna judge me for it, but I cannot help myself. It's All You Had To Do Was Stay By Taylor Swift. And it's not the Taylor's version because, well, I guess the, the explanation for it is that Terrace version came out so late so late in the year, so it couldn't really count in that sense. But I've been listening to, like, this is probably one of my favorite songs ever by Taylor Swift. Ever, ever, ever. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> that is probably my underdog song in, on 1999 specifically, but it's just so, so, so good. I hope people start listening to it more. She gets a little bit of a... A better chance. I know pe people love it. People definitely love it. But I just want, you know, more people to listen to it. That's my top 10. Now let's go to my top artists. I'm just going to do the top 5. But I'm going to go from number 5 to number 1. Yeah. So number 5 is Blackpink, of course. Of course, Blackpink is always going to be there. Blackpink slaps. Listen to it, like, every single song, every single day. Ever, 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 ever. So... Um, yeah, Blackpink slaps. Number four is Ariana Grande. This shocked me because I haven't been listening to Ariana that much, but I guess it tracks a lot of, um, like, old, um, listening habits as well because I've been obsessed with her. Like, I had a specific time in my life where I was, I was like, super obsessed with her. I have all, all of her albums downloaded on my Spotify, so that is that. Number three, these also shocked shocked the hell out of me and it's kim petras kim petras kim patty <laughs> kim patty she ate this year she gave us finally problematic the fan favorite album and also her i guess was it the her debut album well like if i'm, I'm talking about like a full full fully fledged um fully fledged album because she did put out a couple of uh eps there and then but yeah pro well problematic was i guess we can count as um 
a second album, but the first album was Feed the Beast. Both of them came out this year. She really, you know, treated us as pure, pure pop genius. Uh, she always serves. So, yeah, I mean, I listen to a lot of it. So, and I always listen to Kim Petras, to be fair. So, uh, I'm not, well, in one way, I'm surprised because she's never made a cut, like in terms of top five artists. Uh, but at the same time, I do recognize that I listen to a lot of her songs this year. So, period. Now, my top two, they never change. They're always the same. Number two is Lana Ray, of course. And number one is Blondie, Taylor Swift. So, yeah, nothing much to add there. I've already talked a lot about both, I guess. So, <laughs> it never really surprises me because they, they're always there. Every single year, Taylor is number one and Lana is number two. And now you can call that, like, um, mental illness. A guy I went out with one time looked at my, like, top... Um, artists and he asked me are you okay and i'm like what do you mean and he was like this gives like like the only thing i can think of when you see those two artists is like deep sadness and i'm like oh yeah i'm good i'm good i'm good don't don't even talk to me you know like i don't want to be perceived i don't want to be touched i don't want to be like, that's the thing. It's This is a big step for me because I'm literally tra talking about my music and exposing myself. So y'all know my mental health, my mental illness, what it is about, you know, where it's at. So that is pretty much it about my songs. But my number one is, of course, Taylor Swift. Blondie always dominates. And this leads me perfectly into the proper part of the first topic, which is, in fact, Taylor Swift news. Chaotic week for Blondie. Definitely chaotic week. Um... And as I said, it just happened in a you know in a day or two days, I think. Um, but it all started off with surprise Spotify Wrapped. She had a, an incredible year this year, of course, with the tour and you know the success of Midnight's prolonged during this year as well. And just the tour brought up a bunch of like you know more streams i guess to spotify as well and plus the re-recording so we got speak now and we got a uh, 1999 version so yeah like she truly dominated so spotify wrapped when it came out they also crowned her as the top global artist of 2023 and you know this is a great great achievement of course incredible achievement and so as usual taylor as she usually does when when there is when there is such a like, like big news um, she decides to always like give us a little treat or a little post here and there. So she decided this time to give us a little a little treat as well. And the treat in question is a small, little, innocent, and harmless song called "You're Losing Me." Like <laughs> I'm gonna get into why this is like the most deranged thing she's ever done. But let me read you the post first. She posted on both, like, all of her social media, guys, like Twitter. I saw it on Instagram as well. But she said, I just wanted to say to anyone who listened to my music this year, anywhere in the world, thank you. Getting named Spotify's uh, global artist in 2023 is truly the best birthday slash holiday gift you could give me. You could have given me. So she's talking about her birthday, which is in, like, in December. But anyways, I guess that's the biggest gift but anyway we've seriously had the most fun this year out there on the tour and now this are you serious so i was trying to think of a way to thank you and a lot of you have been asking me to put you're losing me from the vault on streaming so here we go you can finally listen to it 
everywhere now. Oh, mental illness for her as well. She gets the, the mentally ill card. She gets the dramatic-ass card, you know? She is the most deranged person I've ever, like, you know... Well, I was about to say Matt, but I've never met her, but... <laughs> this is crazy bitch behavior. And here's why. You're telling me that she's celebrating the... One of the be like the biggest achievements of her career, and apparently her or like her birthday, as well. Like this, this is also part of her birthday celebration, I guess. As she said in the post, but to celebrate that, she's giving us one of the most revealing songs on her breakup, on her high-profile breakup with Mr. Joe Alwyn. Like, what does that have to do with anything? You know, girl, we know, we know you. We know you. You know, you're you're messy. You know. We know you're messy. We know you're messy. We know you are here for the drama and for everything. So I really love this girl for, for a reason. And it's apart from the music, of course, but she's also like the closest thing I have to like a, an older sister because she's the deranged version that I always wanted to look up to, you know? So she just got her boss the whole year and stop it all off. She is once again reinforcing that Joe Allen is a fucking troll, a fucking gremlin that doesn't deserve any respect. She called him out time and time again this year in her own, like, little hidden ways. But let me get into the specifics of it all um, and the cosmic implications of this, like, power bitch move for real. And including also what Jack Anna did shortly after this great news. Um, so this song was a old track from the Midnight's era, of course. And it first appeared as a hard copy, I guess, exclusive, a CD exclusive um, for the late night edition of Midnight's in May 2023. And this was released shortly after the breakup with Joe Alwyn. So immediately the song gained a lot of traction for that specific reason. And despite not being available on streaming, Blondie managed to, you know, give us a bit of, you know, an information on what was going on with her private life and... I guess, her side of the story, in a way. Blondie's always very strategic. She is always super intentional, I would say, with her releases, and that is truly in her character to do so, you know? So, uh, putting this song out after the news broke is just basically her way of telling us that the song is, in fact, about Joe Alwyn and a breakup, you know? I mean, the lyrics, it's, like, the lyrics are pretty clear. I would say there are a lot of, like, references to... Um, marriage once again, typical for Midnight's as well, like, you know, wanting to get married but never getting married, and a reinforced never getting married. <laughs> and, you know, she gave us a lot of details about the breakdown of the relationship in the song as well. So, I would say overall the song is truly magnificent. She's a beautiful piece of work. She's, I guess, like, the closest example we have nowadays over old like songwriting because it's truly like at a, uh, at its core it's a, a breakup song and we haven't had one well for the past probably like six seven years because th in those six seven years we all thought that she was happily in love with joe alwyn there was no reason for her to dwell over um, breakups or anything of the sort well i guess we were so so wrong but of course she chose to you know, divulge the uh, information at her own time and at her own, uh, in her own, like, um, at her own pace. So, um, 
the language used in this song is probably, in my opinion, the most interesting uh, feature of the song. Of course, the bridge is the one that caught the most attention because of the I wouldn't marry me either, pathological people pleaser, all that stuff. But I would say that actual entirety of the song, like the language use, the language she uses here is just very, very smart, very interesting. It's a continuous metaphor um, and I guess a parallel to like physically dying, like being a patient and having, you know, like, you know, like how the doctor is like, when, when they're doing operations on a, on a patient and they're losing the patient in that sense. that She used that metaphor throughout the entire song. You can hear that both in the, I guess, like the, the soundscape of the song, like the heartbeat that is, the heartbeat sound that is like throughout, I think specifically the chorus, yeah. Uh, so that reinforces a bit like this, you know, um, demise of the, not only, I guess, her like metaphorical art, heart but also her metal, like you know her physical heart so it's very like you know the demise of a relationship but also the demise of her own self so very very cool very very cool and also she uses a lot of like metaphors and you know verses like she talks a lot about death cure diseases uh, yeah the diseases sicknesses and all that stuff so yeah truly masterful masterful piece of work um I would say also this, yeah, this is probably, like, the most direct she's ever been about the uh, Joe Alwyn relationship. The, what's the name of the the ship? Was it Toe? Toe? Or Jailer? <laughs> Jailer. <laughs> Either way, they're gone. They're done and gone, you know? So, yeah, this song is probably the very first, um acknowledgement of the issues in the relationship without necessarily like reading too much into the other songs of course there's plenty of speculation about the other songs on midnight and also maybe some songs on folklore and evermore but this is like the no bullshit uh, the no like you know no metaphor no like going around circles this is like a head-on um you know a head-on approach to the to the breakup she's just letting us know what happened and um where she's at mentally you know so truthfully this song i guess is um together with of course the news of the breakup is what uh back in the days in may 2023 um sent us to to the math class you know to the math class she, she sent us to math to do some math to do some puzzles because ever since that song came out and ever since you know the news of the breakup came out we like the fandom i guess has been doing a lot of homework you know we are like obsessed with reevaluating the songs from midnight now and changing our opinion on who the songs are about and she really you know she really made us reevaluate into her album i guess like this gave um you know an extra layer i would say to the album overall because at first you know it was it was a good album i would say but i guess like in hindsight like with all this information that's coming out like trickling down a bit uh, bit after bit it's really getting a new sense of what is going on and like it's just really really like you know it's aging quite well in my opinion it's like some of the songs are really really hitting now because you have like all this context that was i guess missing in the beginning so blondie was really looking out for us she was already giving us a lead with this uh track and telling us hey look i see the speculations about the other songs about maroon about midnight rain but here's a little hint, you know, and we 
took the hint. But of course, there was no guarantee, of course, because with, with her songs in general, her songwriting, she never truly like addresses anyone directly. But it's always up to us, I guess, to interpreted it she gives us some like hints even during the tour like what songs especially i think i would say like the surprise songs are more than just simple surprises they're also like some sort of mood checker about her you know current mental uh, mental health and her mental status so yeah she's been giving us hints like she usually does and we we've been we've been watching we've been watching we've been paying attention so anyways after this uh, whole thing, she now decides to release the song as a big celebration for her accomplishments. Just another big fuck you to Joe, basically. So I love, I love this. I love this behavior. She's just killing him time and time again. And we are here for it. We're, we're here to tear him down. I know that there's plenty of like Joe Alwyn stands now. I don't understand why. Personally, I don't like the guy. N never truly had an opinion on him up until I guess her relationship with Travis because it really showed us the difference in how she wishes to be treated and she was treated back then by Joe instead you know so that man is nothing he can just go you know can go back to the tube can go back to you know using um <laughs> using the, the oyster card on the tube <laughs> anyways enough dragging him so She's doing it already, uh, so we we don't have to chime in anymore. Um, but here's the crazy part. There's It's not over. The crazy part is not simply her releasing the song, but it's also um, what happened shortly after. Enter Jack Antonov, of course, the infamous producer. He decides to be an even messier girl, an even messier girl, and he posts a photo um, of Taylor eating raisins, he posts this photo on his Instagram story, I believe, and here's the caption that he used. You're Losing Me is out today, a very special track from the Midnight Sessions that's finally streaming. Written and recorded at home on the 5th of December 2021. Right after Taylor ate these raisins. What the fuck? Do you, what the fuck do you mean 2021? Now, this, I think, sent us all into, like, a spiral because we all thought we never really knew when You're Losing Me was written. We all thought it was actually written after Midnight's came out. Like, it was, a, it was like, a follow-up that she decided to release after the breakup, something like that. So, we never thought it was, like, a track that was initially meant to be on the album. Uh, it was something that was written after it, and then she decided to put it out for us. But I guess we were wrong. I guess we were wrong. I guess we were fucking wrong because 2021 is the year where she wrote basically um, a good amount of the songs on the standard edition of Midnight. So the incredible implications on the timeline of the breakup and also like in general about Midnight's are crazy. So I guess this also further solidifies like, the theories that many songs are actually about Mr. Alwyn because in that specific time she wrote... Maroon, she wrote she wrote Midnight Rain, she wrote Bejeweled. And now I guess we can all agree that these songs are about him, are about him and him only, you know? Nothing else. Um yeah. So I think she's just <laughs> like I'm not sure if she's like 
she was consulted before Jack Antonoff posted this or if he just wanted to be messy and just post this. And I don't know if she's mad about it, if she's not mad about it. But <laughs> this is so funny. This is so entertaining. And I'm like living as a, as a, um, as a spectator, I guess. I'm just a dream. I'm just getting my little popcorns and eating and just, you know, enjoying my time here. Enjoying my time. Um, yeah. So... <laughs> where to go next because it's not over um i would say like the, okay let, let me let me let me like move on to this part um i would say like if, if anything the song i don't want to of course speculate too much into the relationship because we don't know that much to be fair even the song reveals a lot but it doesn't reveal the entirety of course of the relationship because it wasn't really public so we don't know much but i'm gonna i'm gonna go there you know i'm gonna go there um i think this song actually reveals that her relationship was far of course from being perfect but also maybe it was more of a on and off situation that we thought of course the only like record we had of them before let's just say folklore and evermore were not like specific enough to have to give us any information about her current status so we were left off with Lover and Reputation, and those two albums were very, very positive albums about Joe Alwyn. The only song maybe that was a bit of a red flag was what, Cornelia Street, I guess? I don't know. But even then, like, she was apologetic, and she was glad that, like, she was never accusing him of anything specifically. She was never pointing a finger um, towards him or whatever. But, yeah, like, this is a probably like this is the first time we actually have her like her side of the story her like you know addressing it and pointing the finger towards him him basically being not letting her be bejeweled you know that's the that's the the central thesis of the entire album i guess that of the song and of the album of midnight i would say that it was just not meant to be. He was not ready for it. It was not... <laughs> oh my god, a pun. He was not... Actually, he was not ready for it, you know? But anyways. Um, yeah, I guess the pandemic was actually, you know... Maybe maybe it must have played a part also. Like, I played a part of... Um, on how she thought about the relationship and everything else. So, anyways. Things did not end there. They did not. Because um, she... Flew to London on Thursday to attend the Renaissance uh, movie premiere, the Beyonce movie. And in the midst of it all, she um, was, I guess, I, I don't want to say attacked, but a certain, let's, let's just say a certain gossip account on social media, um, which has been around for quite a while now. It's called De Moi. And this uh, gossip uh, gossip account went on Instagram and decided to put their two cents on the situation. On the, I'm referring to the Joe Alwyn breakup again because of the song came, coming out on streaming. So they decided to use this opportunity, this chatter, I guess, to reignite a bit of a, a gossip, a rumor and all that. So for context, I guess this page is like renowned to spread false rumors, by the way. So... Um, and it's about like they spread rumors about pretty much any celebrity in Hollywood. So I wouldn't be too surprised um, if other celebrities also retaliate against Dumois moving forward. But anyways, um, they've always had a lot to say specifically about Taylor and Joe and about their 
alleged marriage that we never had any like confirmation from either side so it's definitely false but anyways um <laughs> she decided uh, well she or uh, he i'm just gonna um be impersonally or i'm just gonna say basically dumois decided to once again take advantage of the situation and go on instagram and say that the ceremony did happen and it was in fact in the uk in 2020 or 2021 even here like we don't know when that's two years time but anyways and they were trying to describe it basically that joe and taylor were having issues in those years uh the mall also states that the marriage was never made legal which is a big question mark i guess but they never then like i guess uh, proceeded to say also that <laughs> i quote they would die they will die on this hill and that they have no reason to lie and so on so um this is definitely like um targeted towards Taylor to enrage her to get more clicks or whatever but i think this is probably the the stupidest thing you could ever do as a gossip account whatever you want to be like a trade or whatever it is but you never go against the big dogs you never do you never want to enrage people with false rumors because you're not gonna you're not gonna win you're not gonna have any benefit from this and I think Taylor really got angry at this because, um, you know, she unleashed Tree Payne, her publicist. So Tree Payne decided to reply pretty directly by tweeting about the specific Instagram story that Demo posted. So Tree said, enough is enough with these fabricated lies about Taylor from Demo. There was never a marriage ceremony of any kind. Thus, we know that it never happened because she's a very close um well she's her publicist she knows like girl come on and she also follows up saying this is an insane thing to post it's time for you to be held accountable for the pain and trauma you caused with this posts so tree came through man she came through and she also like rarely like addresses things directly on her like social media pages she usually gives um her side of the story or taylor's side of the stories to the trades like hollywood reporters or whatever it is um without specifically you know posting anything and you know this is also i guess a big side that taylor was very enraged and the situation was getting very serious on her end because the on i think the only other time that tree actually tweeted something about this like about taylor was when snake gate happened back in 2016 so and 17 so girl this was um <laughs> world shattering i guess but yeah i guess this sort of gives you an understanding of how taylor feels and how serious it is for her so the moi then replied to tree of course and um they said that tree made um, oh, well, they said that Demois uh, makes zero dollars from lying and insinuating that trees, um, she also, like, the trees also getting paid just to spread misinformation. Well, I guess the roles are reversed here, girl. You are spreading misinformation, or maybe you're not paid at all to just talk your shit. So, guess who's the loser here? But, anyways, um, well, if I were Demois, I would definitely change passport and fly to another country because. <laughs> I don't want, I would never want to have the Swifties come after me, you know, I don't, I would never want that, and I would never want, more than that, it's, um, what power, I guess, like, Taylor is, like, currently holding, she's always had, like, a big hold on the 
entertainment industry in general but now she's the big the biggest pop star in the world at the moment so um yeah consequences are mad i guess being on taylor's bad side i guess does not yield a bright future for you demois please stop doing this like save yourself please look at the track record look at all these like all the people that try to go after taylor where are they at right now jobless dead Joanne. <laughs> but they're they're gone they're not you cannot go against taylor swift that's the truth with the pool she has i guess she could also blackball demois forever so consider yourself ruined you know your reputation your whatever you had you're gone you're done and you're you're dead but i guess oh well they must have had a common you know very very sad anyways let's do a little bit of a break and get into the second story coming up right now Yeah, we are back. Back back at it again. So, <clears throat> my second story of the day is a very topical movie that recently came out and I guess it's like a sequel of I guess the most formative uh I would say franchise that you know, was an integral part of my life. We're talking about, of course, the Hunger Games here, and the moving question is the ballad of songbirds and snakes. Um, I finally watched the movie. Yep, I know, quite late, but I managed to watch it this Thursday, and I am super, super glad and happy that I did. My disclaimer for this part of the story is that I have not read the, the the book, the the Ballad of the Songbirds and Snakes. Yeah, I've only read the original trilogy, and I've watched, of course, the four movies, the original four movies, plus now this one. So I went into this movie completely blind. Didn't know much about the story. I only knew, of course, about the general topic at hand. We're gonna talk about uh, President Snow, his origins. But yeah, in preparation of the mo- for this movie, I even rewatched the original four movies, and I was honestly shook once again. Uh, once again, I haven't watched the movie in such a long time, but <clears throat> I can confirm once again that Catching Fire still remains the best movie in the franchise and the best book in the series, no doubt, hands down. Period. Katniss was girlbossing like never before in that second installment. And she was shooting arrows to domes. She was electrifying people. She was fucking two guys at the same time. <laughs> she was stunting while, like, you know, wearing incredible fits provided by Sinna. You know, he was a, he was an ally. Well, he was gay, but he was also an ally, you know. And, yeah, like, what can, what more can you ask for, you know? Um, and for the first time, the love story wasn't sloppy, so, period. She served every single step of the way, and I cannot deny that, but I would also like to say that Lucy Gray is coming in hot. She is a close second in terms of cuntiness, and 
she's late she's lazy you know she she's she's really good um rewatching the movies i would say also made me super curious like in preparation for the movie about president snow again i was once again you know pulled back into the story and i was very much looking forward to watching the new the new installment to finally experience his origin story so yeah, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is set 64 years before the first Hunger Games. And by the way, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched the movie or read the book, click off, skip forward, you know? This is not for you. But anyways, <laughs> I was saying it's set 64 years, I guess, before the first Hunger Games. Um, it's set around the 10th annual Hunger Games, the 10 years after the war, between the, the, the first war between the districts that brought the capital to power, you know? So Coriolano Snow is of course our main character here and his cousin tigress which um like we've already seen her i think yeah we've we've seen her in the in the movies in the last movie basically um she was the one who literally looks like a tiger but anyways um and their grandma so the these are the three last um the only survivors basically of the snow uh family there's no there's no family was a very powerful and rich family who played a crucial role in the war and in the also in this in, in the institution of the government and the capital right so Coriolana snow now lives on the brink of poverty and he carries the entire weight of his legacy of course because he's a big boy you know he's the only guy in the family and of course the future of um, his entire dynasty is on his shoulders um it's therefore his task to bring glory and riches back to the family so he decides to bet everything on a 10th annual hunger games coriolanus is a student um we start off with him being a student at the capitals academy and for this 10th annual games in order to garner more attention to the capital the um, government has decided to let the students become mentors of the tributes whoever is of course able to turn their tribute into the biggest spectacle will receive a very generous prize the plinth prize and this prize could allow Coriolanus to enroll possibly into university, which is a leeway for him to get into, you know, that um, government position that he wants. So to reestablish basically the entire fam uh, family's uh, glory. Coriolanus is assigned um, the female tri uh, tribute of District 12, of course. And it's none other than Lucy Gray. Lucy Gray is not like nothing like uh Katniss Everdeen she's not into hunting she's not very physical at all to be fair she's a performer as a matter of fact and she is part of a nomadic band nomadic band but she is establishing um district 12 so that's why she's um at the reaping uh ceremony she's uh basically drafted she immediately captures the attention of the capital though and when it was televised of course the reaping ceremony she is filmed slipping a snake into the dress of the mayor's uh, daughter. Um, so Coriolanus is, of course, shocked by this, but he's also desperate to win, and he sees an opportunity in that. Like, he sees the potential that the girl has, right? And so he decides to um, let... Since, like, she's lacking so much in terms of, like, combat and experience in that sense, he decides to, like, get... Um, a bit of an advantage by sort of proposing amendments and to the, to the rules of the games, basically, right? So he's trying to bolster the popularity of Lucy Gray, and 
some of the um, amendments he proposes are allowing, for example, the um, the viewers in the capital to give points to the most entertaining um, tribute and those points can be then like converted during the games into gifts that can be crucial for the survival of the tribute right um apart from that it also introduces the idea of like having some interviews before the games so that like the viewers can have some sort of stakes can have some attachment to any of their chosen favorites in that sense so you know it's really trying to like give her like a fair shot you know Apart from that, Corianus also is able to allow the spec uh, the basically the spectators to also not only vote, but also, you know, have some sort of like bigger like leverage, I guess, overall on who should win the prize in the end. So um yeah, it's like the elements we see in the future movies in the future um uh, installments well in the future well the original ones basically yeah are all it's very interesting to see basically that they're, they're all his ideas that he implemented into the game so yeah this is their origin point for those uh, tropes in the in the original story yeah so um yeah he's also the first mentor Corlanos is, is now with the first mentor basically who decides to meet his tribute by welcoming her at the train station where they get a uh, basically introduced for the first time so the two quick the two um meaning lucy and snow quickly start bonding over the similar backgrounds that they have and their childhoods and their relationship becomes more and more personal so you know where we're going with this they're falling in love um right before the games the tributes and their mentors are allowed to have a little bit of a tour of the arena and during this tour the arena is bombed and some of the tributes are killed or they also managed some of them managed to escape spoiler, spoiler alert most of them get caught and punished for that so not smart i guess lucy was really smarter so lucy instead of running away um she um sees that snow is basically injured um by the explosion and she saves his life so he now feels completely indebted towards her and i guess they the relationship becomes more like more entertaining than before you know the games nonetheless go ahead and Coriolanos now has like a personal motive well a more personal motive now than before apart from his family to win this games you know so um before the actual game starts uh, uh start they, he manages to slip some poison into the tribute uh, cell and for, for th these are for Lucy Gray, of course, to use during the games to get some sort of advantage. This is cheating. By the way, the rule here is that if you are caught cheating, you'll receive, you know, like some sort of punishment. But we'll get into that later, you know. Um, the last challenge of the games is uh, basically, well, is of course to survive and to be the last, um, the last one standing. So... Lucy has very little chances when it comes to that, so she's hoping to, well, Corianus told uh, told her to basically hide away for the, for most of the games so that she could win, and so that is technically what she does in the end, you know, she hides for the, entire, the entirety of the games, and...
she poisons some people, she uh, girl bosses around, she's able to captivate a lot of people, even with the interview prior to the games with her song. She's really a great singer, and everyone feels deeply connected to her. So she becomes quickly like a, a fan favorite, I guess. Um, yeah. In the meantime, the game master um, decides to go ballistic, basically, <laughs> because um, some of the, um, the students, including uh, Coriolano's best friend, are rebelling against the games. They're not going down willingly. They're um, refusing to abide by these uh, barbaric rules. And... She's not having it. She, the game master is not having it. So she decides to kill every single one of the... She wants, well, basically to kill every single one of the tributes. And so she sends in the last challenge, I guess, of the games, which is a tank full of poisonous snakes. Um, Cordanus gets a hold of this information beforehand, and he decides, like, he manages to slip a um, handkerchief um, that has basically the scent of Lucy Gray. Basically, these snakes do not attack the people that have this a familiar scent so he just manages he manages basically to like yeah slip this handkerchief uh in the tank before it gets shipped to the arena and so basically when the snakes uh break out of the tank in the arena they only attack everybody else so everybody else dies but lucy gray wins and well she also has a incredible performance surrounded by snakes and everyone loves her so everyone everyone including the the people i guess are all begging for the game master to let her live so she wins the games you know she wins the games i also have to mention here that uh snow's best friend he, he is basically uh the son of a very uh rich family from district 2 who moved to into the capital and this guy is basically um he has like some sort of guilt i guess for being um in the capital and having these people even from his own district, come into the, the games and, like, you know, risk their lives. So keep that in mind. And also keep also in mind that he's super rich. Keep that in mind. <laughs> Anyways, Lucy wins the games, and Coriolanus and Lucy basically, well, at first they get um, the prize, but eventually they find out that um, Coriolanus cheated two times one was the poison and the second one was the handkerchief right so his punishment quote-unquote punishment is uh, to be um sent out of the capital he's an initially i think assigned what district eight um but he manages to get sent to district 12 where he can be reunited with lucy gray so that's what happens they get reunited and he's there to serve the military, I guess, whatever it is. And they, like, reignite their romance there in District 12. Um, and so they live for a... I don't know how much time they spend there, to be fair, but I think it's, like, a month or something. I don't know. But for a good time, they're there, and they just um, have quite a happy life, I guess, for a bit. For a bit. Uh, Sejanus, which is uh, Snow's best friend, is also um, joining the military there in 12 because he wants to make a real change and he's hoping also to absolve his uh, lingering guilt and so basically to do that when he gets to 12 he plans to um have some dissenters of the of the capital um smuggled uh beyond the northern border of panem panem so yeah he's not doing good he's doing some illegal shit 
and Quirinatus and Lucy discover this plan, right? So they argue, I guess, like, of course, over this uh, entire plan, and one thing leads to another, and they also discover eventually that the mayor's daughter and Lucy, Lucy Grace acts, I guess, um, they were basically, yeah, like, the mayor's daughter basically finds out about this plan, and so, um, yeah, uh, Corlanus shoots, uh, the mayor's daughter, that's crazy shit behavior, you know, like, incredible, anyways, um, some of the dissenters got detained, um, and Corlanus also decides to secretly record his best friend, and. Uh, while well, he, he detailed the entire involvement in the plan. So he sends this to the game master in the capital, um, and basically Sejanus gets hanged for treason. Snow is evil, evil. I mean, in the movie, he regrets it, but I've been told that it actually in the, in the book is actually quite, like, how the score is evil. But, you know, there's a lot of nuance, I guess, there. So he had this, basically, cho uh, chance of, you know, getting back into the capital, and he took it. Betrayed his uh, friend, who, by the way, I've read it in the books, actually very jealous of, but it's not coming through in the movies. But anyways, um, his friend gets killed, and the only outstanding thing is the gun that he used, the evidence that he used to, you know, the everything that links basically himself to the, the murder of the mayor's daughter, right? So... He agrees first um, to escape with Lucy Gray, who eventually finds out that he is the one who reported his best friend, Sejanus, right? So she's incredibly, incredibly disappointed in this. And, um, you know, she gets also very, rightfully so, very suspicious. And she thinks that she could be killed possibly by Snow as well. And guess what? There's a bit of an awkward situation. He doesn't really... Um, admit that he did that, but she knows deep down that he did it. So she decides to run for it because she doesn't feel safe, and he goes after her. But um, I guess like um, there's a bit of like a mystery there in the sense that we don't know what actually what happens to her. Uh, he gets bitten by a snake that she um, hides under what was it? His mom's. Uh, scarf that he gave her to her like gave her as a gift whatever basically gets bitten by the snake we don't know if like he was poisoned or what but he may have had some hallucinations and he starts going crazy batshit crazy um so he gets left there by lucy um but he does try to shoot her or at least the hallucination he has of her because he wants to get rid of her right uh so there is this tragic element there that you know Unfortunately, they can never uh, be together. So he ends up basically in the end going back uh, to the uh, District 12 camp and he gets sent back to the capital, summoned by the game master who got a hold of the you know, the report that he did and all that. He praises him. He, he told, uh, she, uh, well, sorry, she praises him because that's, yeah, that's a lady. So um, <laughs> anyways, uh, she's very impressed. She tells him that it was all like a plan that she had to prove like that he was worthy and all that stuff and she really is thankful for 
the changes that Koreanus made because apparently the ratings for the Hunger Games went up. People were not interested before, but now they are because of Koreanus' uh, changes. You know, he did that. He's a girl boss. Anyways, um, so yeah, um, that ending is very tragic. Of course, it's a it's a very uh, heartbreaking moment because you know. The true colors of both people come out. She's incredibly unsure about him. There's this big uncertainty that can never be, you know, um, resolved. And I guess it's also due to the fact that they're from, like, despite being so similar, I guess they're also so different because at the end of the day, he's mostly a rich man coming from a rich family. And she is from District 12 coming from a very poor background. And. There was always gonna be the like there, there was always always gonna be this like sort of um, uncertainty there, you know. Um, but anyways, he manages to get rid of also the, the all the um, you know the uh, evidence that was against him. So he is basically uh, no one knows, of course, apart from the um, from Lucy Gray and from uh, the game master that he was the one who reported uh, Satanus. So. When he goes back to the capital, he gets sort of um, adopted by the family, uh, by the family of his best friend, and he gets paid everything to, including like his university. Like, so he gets a leeway into the university, he's slay, like, you know, slaying in the uni, and I guess that's when he then eventually becomes President Snow after, like, you know, his career. So, yeah, that's it in terms of the story. I really 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 liked it um what are the thoughts on my movie you may ask well i have to say that i think the story is very very interesting and i'm also pleasantly surprised that it's um in a way still connected to the trilogy like there are so many easter eggs and nods to the to the trilogy to the original um franchise but also i'm very glad that it's sort of different like there is it's, it's not the same genre of movie i would say it's like of course the main plot lines are not repeated in that sense but there's also a lot of um interesting elements that reoccur you know i was very really afraid that i would actually going to replicate everything but um yeah the i guess the, the games and the war are not actually the centerpieces of the plot of this movie like yes they are of course crucial and you can still get like a feeling of this precar uh, precarious uh, piece that the capital has established right but i would argue also that the main point of the story here is that well, it's actual love story, you know? It's actually the love between Lucy Gray and President Snow. The trauma bonding, of course, between <laughs> the two main characters, I would say, is sort of what explains um, this very intense and brief love story, which is very passionate, of course, but also very, very uncertain, right? They're two very similar people, but also yet very different, you know? And I guess you can also tell during the movie that they're never meant to be together in a way because um, the only reason why they bond so well is because both of their lives and their futures, I guess, are dependent on one another. So once that is done, once that is taken away, I guess you can you can see that the other cores, I guess, they're truly different people that were never meant to be together because Lucy really wants to, I don't know, they stay in 12, have like, be as far away uh, from the capital as possible, while um, 
Coriolanus wants to, you know, find glory, um, reestablish his family's name and go back to the capital, right? So he wants to be there. He wants to rule, right? So they will never, they will never, they will never be together. You know, they can, they can never do that. They can never work, unfortunately, even though they're so, so cute together, but they can never, they can never work, you know? Um... So yeah, I really like the story, honestly. Like, I like, I love, I'm a sucker for, like, romantic tragedy, per se. So this, to me, was uh, gold, you know? It was really, really good. It had a bit of, like, a Romeo and Juliet vibes as well. It was very, like, romantic, tragic, um, dramatic. It was so, so, so good. Um, the two characters, I guess, um, seem to be faded in a way because they meet in very, like, specific circumstance circumstances. But also, I guess, they're... Um, their end is also fated, fated in a way because, as I said, they're clearly not meant for each other. Um, I guess the point of the original story compared to this one is a bit different. Like, yes, Peter and Katniss are obviously meant to be together as well, but their relationship is the only, like, isn't the only point of the story, right? It's inserted in a bigger storyline, I would say, which is, of course, the revolution, right? So the two, the two main characters there need to stay alive um to of course survive the games and they're both on equal footing in a sense that they're both from 12 they're both put into the arena and they fight together right um and they quickly become involved into something that is bigger than them which is of course their involvement into the revolution they become symbols and uh, like of both hope and change and so the romantic start of the movies gets you know dissipated into like a bigger story which is of course the second war um at the end of the games, right? <clears throat> Lucy on in the ballad, of course, Lucy and Coriolanus instead are fighting not only to survive, but also to be reunited um, outside of the games with the hopes of maybe having a life together. Like, yes, eventually, yet the Pete and Katniss have a life together, but this was never, I guess, they're, like, there was never, like, a um, this underlying assumption that they wanted to, like, just get out of the games and have a family together. You know what I mean? Here, instead, like, it seems like more like they are yearning to escape, to just live their life together in a way, you know? Um, of course, this never materializes in a way because the two are, you know, are set to be into different places in a way at the end of, at the end of it all. So, yeah. Um, I guess Coriolanus at times is as well persuaded to be part of the District 12, um, you know, rural um, life in a way. But, yeah, his greater purpose pushes him ultimately to be a betrayer. You know, he betrays both of his, um, like, both his friend and his lover. Possibly the love of his life, you know? Um, it's a very tragic tale, of course, and a perfect villain origin story, in my opinion. Uh, in that you're, you sort of, like, at first sympathize a bit with Snow, of course. Like, you understand that he is sort of... He has this sort of, like, greater, greater purpose to uphold his family's name, and you cannot really escape that, right? And I also you feel at times very helpless in front of the bleak circumstances, I guess, of the movie, and that these circumstances eventually, like, you know, push the two lovers away forever, you know? So, yeah, incredible movie, very, very cool. I've seen on Twitter, of course, uh, and on TikTok, a lot of people saying that, like, you know, you should never underestimate the power of a failed situationship, you know? And honestly, same, I agree, I agree with that. Keep that in mind, you know? Um, apart from, like, the story itself, I think the main actors and were, like, incredibly well-casted. 
especially Rachel, uh, uh, Rachel Zegler. She's so, so, so talented. Um, she has an incredible voice, incredible performance, incredible acting. So, so, so good. I only found, the only thing I found like a bit annoying was her fake country accent. It was, you know, too evident it was fake and all that. I didn't really connect with it. But apart from that, she is really serving face. She's really serving performance. She's really good. Very well cast, you know? Um, yeah. The third act, in my opinion, is the best part. The way it's realized in the movie is so good. They really managed to capture this way um, that that feeling uh, Snow is now hunted forever by his betrayals both and also by, um, you know, the loss of his, like, the love of his life, you know? And also, the, like, they do a great job at uh, portraying the tragic, fatalistic ending of his entanglement with Lucy Gray, you know? Which almost, I would say, well... He doesn't become fully mad, but he is crazy, man. Like, he's a Hitler. <laughs> he's truly Hitler, but with white hair and Caucasian, you know? Um, I would say a, a bit of a critique I have is that the movie itself feels less, uh, like, oddly enough, sometimes less expensive or less, like, the budget was a bit, like, less well utilized in a way. And I think also... What I really enjoyed about the the initial movies, the first four movies, was the fact that, like, apart from the main characters, the main three and whatever, the ensemble of the rest of the characters, like, the secondary characters and everything else, was also incredible. Like, you could have a favorite literally in every part of the, the, the movie, you know? Like, even the other tributes were so interesting that they were a bit more fleshed out. I think here that was definitely missing. And while I'm very grateful that here this time around they used real children so you could actually feel the brutal, um, you know, the, the brutality, I guess, of the, of the games, putting children in an in a, in arena to kill themselves. I think also the actors were not, to be fair, that great. They, well, they didn't have a chance to shine, to be fair. But also even then, the main girl like there was supposedly like the evil one, whatever, like the main antagonist in the arena... She wasn't really selling it to me, to be fair. Like, I don't know. I feel like that's my only critique. Like, apart from the main two characters and maybe the Game Master, I don't think anyone else in the movie really stood out to me. Like, only Lucy Gray and Corleonis were really good. Uh, everyone else was a bit boring, a bit mad, a bit, a bit you know, blank, blank, I guess. Yeah. I just wish they had a bit more of a fleshed out um, backdrop of characters, you know? like the original like where's Finnick? where is Adriana? where's like you know where, where are these type of people in this new rendition you know we need some more of that that's my only critique i have i guess but yeah really loved it would watch it again it's it's really good i would still say the uh, catching fire is the best movie in the, in the franchise but it's a great movie great movie definitely go and watch it if you haven't and yeah like i'm sure you will enjoy it anyways very very cool now let's get to another little break and last story coming up real real soon right we're back we're back we're back we're back for the last story story number three and this week, 
I'm talking about a little game that I rediscovered. Um, I've been obsessed with again because I bought a MacBook Air and now I am ready to play to game. I've been gaming to like to this game for um I guess for the past two weeks now. Yeah, something like that. So the gaming question is of course the Sims, because when I mentioned MacBook, you of course have to play the Sims, you know? Um yeah, this I guess like it's a you know topical game for everyone who has a MacBook and um, it's just so 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 good I have so many memories with the franchise in general it's just super nice and I just love the drama I'm a very like dramatic person and um, I just love creating my own drama as well here the good thing is that I have no I don't have to bear any consequences you know like I just have to play God here you know anyways before we get actually into my gameplay I just want to talk about about the um, I guess the history of the of the Sims um, Oh, the game, like, the whole franchise started, and, you know, how we set it off, and how it's gonna go, you know, next, like, what's happening with it. Um, so, yeah, The Sims is a series of sandbox games, which is basically, like, a sort of life simulation video game genre, uh, and it was developed by Maxis, and it published by Electronic arts ea the franchise is now owned uh, of course by ea still and you might be familiar with them in terms of um some other types of games they uh, publish which are which are mostly like sport games and all that stuff very odd combo i know um but yeah they um published the sims they've been publishing them for quite a while now and the franchise has now sold nearly like the overall franchise including all the games right they have now sold nearly 200 million copies worldwide so this is definitely one of the best selling video games of the series i think it's number 10 right below the lego video game franchise so you know we're talking about big numbers here um the games in the series are mostly purposeless in a way like you literally create if you're not aware of it you just literally create you know um your own simulation they are like your characters their lives you set up their lives their house their like you customize basically almost everything and you just let them live their lives you know you seem uh, you like you do a simulation basically of a real life uh, either family or just a single uh, player you know um the the games have of course implemented many more um features the like the latest game is The Sims 4 and it has a lot of like very interesting and detailed features and they're also you know expanded further by multiple expansion packs and console versions right um but yeah The Sims Sims I guess comes exactly from simulation but yeah um that's basically the purpose of the game you literally like create and you give tasks to your little subjects you know um, you can customize everything about the characters, uh, both appearance and needs and everything else, to the amount of, even to the amount of hair they have growing in their butt crack. So, if you're a creative person, I guess, like, you would really enjoy this game. And there's a lot to do there. The drama never ends. And the drama sometimes also, like, comes 
out of like you know out of nowhere like you don't even have to plant it the sims sometimes just love to be dramatic you know um the the sims started for the first time with the first ever prototype game which was the sim city right sim city was uh first uh prototyped in 1989 oh my god taylor swift <laughs> anyways uh, according for, uh, according to a 2014 article from the New Yorker, the game designer Will Wright was inspired by a virtual dollhouse, and after losing his um, home during the Oakland firestorm in 1991, he decided to basically start rebuilding his life, and that that's where he got the idea of putting that into a literal game, you know? Um, by replacing his home and his other possessions, he started thinking about how to like you know also adapt that into like a game and that's where it all started you know the new york actually uses the term god game when describing um the sims uh, series right and i would say actually this is a great like a, a very fitting term to describe it because you literally play as god like you literally <laughs> Control the lives of your creations to the finest details, including procreating. You know what that means. God is watching all the time. Hide your children. Oh my God. Anyways, um, to all the girls with your God complex, go buy yourself a copy of the latest The Sims game because you're not going to be disappointed. You know, the base game is actually free on Mac, so you can literally play for free. And then, of course, you can start building it up with more expansion packs, and it's just really, really good. So... Anyways, when Mr. Wright first pitched this idea to Maxis, he was not sure he was going to make it because the company was very skeptical at first. They were questioning, of course, the purpose of the game, if it was going to be an, you know, an appealing game to anyone in general. But then when EA acquired Maxis and it took over, they were the first you know, to open the doors to this opportunity. You know? So, it's part of that game, The Sim City, was, um, I guess it was, like, mid, in a way, <laughs> but the real, like, uh, juggernaut was The Sims game, the first Sims, the, the one that was released in the year 2000. So, this is, in essence, I guess I would say, an integral part of the Gen Z, and also millennial, I would say, childhood, um... The Sims is a Y2K girl, you know? Yes. Mr. Wright was also pushed, I guess, by the idea of popularizing realism, but in the video games. This was already done, of course, in the movies at the time and in many TV shows and documentaries. But he wanted to, like, push that into, like, the game space. That was never done. I mean, it probably was done before, but it was never truly very successful in terms of, um, you know, revenue. So... He goes on to literally create a close-to-real-life simulation game. Um, the man who moved the subject matter of games was away from the myth, fantasy and violence and everything else, towards ordinary social life, you know? Like, he took the... Like, he very smartly, I guess, analyzed the situation that was happening there, which was basically most of the games were, you know, about killing dragons or doing whatever, uh, or everything was about sparkly graphics and innovation and all that stuff well this game instead he counter you know he did some some good old counter uh, programming right so he created a game that instead allows you to create your own environments 
and instead of being immersed, you are basically the sole, uh, you know, person responsible for whatever happens in your game, you know? Ryder stated that also The Sims was meant for, um, was meant to be basically a satire of the US consumer culture at the time. And I find it very interesting, but also very ironic because, um, literally, you cannot, like, you're forced to buy <laughs> so many expansion packs. So, capitalism much, you know? Anyways. He took the ideas from the 1977 architecture and urban design book uh, called A Pattern Language. Uh, and then he also took inspiration from some um, psychologists in some of their works. For example, Abraham Maslow in his 1943 paper called A Theory of Human Motivation. He took that as an, um, basically a model for the hierarchy of needs that are very well known in the games, you know? And he also took um, some inspiration from uh, this book called Map Maps of the Mind by Charles Hampton Turner. You know, this book basically, uh, for the first time, developed an idea of artificial in intelligence, and he used that as the main driver of the games, you know? Um, however, he also believes that he doesn't really believe in... Um, in the theory of human psychology, so take that with a grain of salt. I guess he just took those as the prototype prototypes for the actual game, but he doesn't truly believe in any of the elements of the game. In the like, he doesn't believe that they apply actually in real life. But whatever. Um, I cannot play my uh, the Sims game without uh, at least the pets and the magic expansion packs. So please discount them once again. I need to buy them. I need to get them there for personal reasons. Thank you very much. Um, another very impressive achievement I would say about the whole franchise is the very successful targeting of female customers. I would say like before this, many games were only pandering towards male gamers, but this game managed to bring in a huge new population, right? Um, according actually to a Max's job listing for a senior game designer, at least 60% of the Sims gamers are young girls aged 18 to 24 so that's a great achievement in my eyes you know it's a girl boss move it's bring the girls in yes well yes that did not of course come as a complete surprise to um right because he well his daughter cassidy um was basically 14 when he first started um developing the game right um his uh, daughter, yeah, was a great, great inspiration for the game. Yeah, he, uh, she helped him to tinker with the prototypes of the game, and also, forty percent of the Sims development team is actually made of female um, workers. So, <laughs> this dude knows what he's doing, you know. Also, um, I think Wright recollected in the New Yorker uh, interview that uh, he never played with dolls, of course, uh, but. I guess, like, according to him, playing with dolls, uh, it's about the people in the house, of course. Like, it's about social relationships and all that stuff. And Cassidy, his daughter, helped helped him see that, you know? So, um, yeah, I guess, like, you know, girls, you all slay, you know? <laughs> but I think also, yeah, I think he says that Cassidy was very much traumatized to discover that the Sims could burn down their house and also die now you know they can die in fires they can become ghosts so 
I guess it's not the ideal thing that she was uh, envisioning, but anything for the Sims, you know? Like, I love that aspect of it. Like, the fact that your characters can actually die and forever be dead. Unless I buy the magic expansion pack, but that's another topic. But yeah, that's incredible to me. The success of the games, um, I guess, has been unwavering. And the latest game in a series is, of course, pretty old now because it was released in 2014. But nonetheless, I think the community like around the game is just so like passionate about the game that, you know, they're keeping it alive. And also all these expansion packs and new ones that get into like they'll they get introduced I think yearly or something or something like that. They keep the game alive, they keep the game fresh, they keep the game, you know, always interesting. So yeah. The Sims 4 actually has, I think, ex as of now, 14 expansion packs and 12 game packs, uh, which is wild, like crazy. Uh throughout the years, of course, they expanded to many other platforms, including portable versions and I personally still remember The Sims 2 Castaway. I don't know if you ever owned a PSP, but uh, The Sims 2 Castaway was the portable version of The Sims 2. Like, it was a standalone game, and your Sims are basically Castaway on an island, and you're starting everything from scratch, like building things from sticks and stones and fighting with apes, and all that shit was wild. But, um, I don't know, I have very fond memories of that. I had my little PSP, my uh, Cyan PSP, and I was playing the game constantly. I was so frustrated with the apes, they were keep on, like they, they kept on stealing my shit, and they, they were so mean, you know? Anyways, um, I found online that there was also, like, a plan to make a movie based on The Sims, which, like, what? That's so stupid. Like, a live-action movie of The Sims. Think about that. Of course, it was cancelled later on, because... Who wanted to watch a movie like that? Like, the whole purpose of the game is that you are very much hands-on on every single, like, every single detail. And if you make a movie about it, you take that, like, that crucial, integral element out of it, you know? So making a movie would mean basically turning the game into a reality show. Like, the likes of, I don't know, Love Island or something like that. I don't know. So, not fun, you know? Thank God that never happened. Even though part of me kind of wants to see it, you know? But let's get into my gameplay before we finish off uh i have drama <laughs> of course i do my first gameplay i started off with a couple of two people it was just basically a man and a woman wifed up um yeah they were married so gave them a house and i guess my downfall my downfall was when i set the traits for the characters right i gave the woman a jealous trait which meant that she was never gonna trust this man even though she was married to him but either way <laughs> one thing led to another and the guy didn't well the guy started like basically flirting with another guy she got super jealous to the point where she actually died she died she died i was so sucked into the whole thing that literally I spent five hours after work just playing it, and I even forgot to have dinner. <laughs> Mental illness for real, but um, the game is so good. I then, well, she, yeah, she died. Her ghost started basically hunting the full house, and I had to move the guy away with his new companion. He joined another uh, house, and he got married to this guy, and then now they have kids. Uh, so, yeah. All of this in a span of five hours, you know? Like, it was <laughs> so messy of me. 
Um, but now I restarted with the same family again, like the original one, the two of them, because I want, like, you know, I want to give them like a proper happy life, you know. So, yes, that's my story. I'm I'm planning to um, get the expansion packs, of course. The I want to get the pets, the cats and dogs uh, expansion pack, and also the magic wand because whenever someone dies, I I need to have some way of bringing them back, you know. And also, it looks so much fun. So, another one that I want to maybe buy in terms of expansion packs is the, what is it, the werewolf one, vampires, all that, all that stuff. That looks incredible. Twilight reigning supreme. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'll make sure to update everyone about my future plans with The Sims. You know, my gameplay, how is it going, yeah? But I guess we're coming to an end, you know? This is the end of the first episode. Oh, my God. Um, I'm so, so happy that, you know, I managed to do this. So, I hope you guys appreciate this episode. I appreciate the podcast and support it. Uh, you can follow me on my personal uh, Instagram. You can follow me. I'm going to probably open up a Twitter uh, page soon. You can follow me there. And... Yeah, stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you very, very soon. Bye.